The title of my message tonight is going to be Nevertheless God. You know, we have a, a Nevertheless God, and we'll get into that. I, just, um, I want to take a minute here to explain the definition of nevertheless is to be in opposition of everything surrounding the details and circumstances of whatever that situation is. And um, I'll tell you what, we have a no matter what kind of God. He can do anything. He can do perform His will no matter what. All throughout the Bible we see verses that are um, start off in peril, and then the next verse will be, but God. And it will give us the, the happy ending, if you will. Um, you know, we have a lot of things going on in our country right now. Um, yesterday at the sports banquet, uh, Brother Clayton got up and he was ranting and raving about the new gun laws and the proposed things and the attack against our Second Amendment and all those kinds of things. And he was right. We need to stand up for those things. We need to stand up for what God has given us. Um, and uh, he did a really good job with that. But we, we have a lot that we complain about sometimes. You know, we have higher taxes and health care laws and gas prices and our soldiers overseas and who knows why they're still there. Are we doing any good? Are we not? Um, should they be back home? You know, we don't get me wrong. All of these things are important. Some of them are even scary at times. But just like the message Pastor Nathan brought this morning on hope, it was kind of where I was going to go tonight, and I kind of gave a different spin on it here. Um, hopefully it will turn out uh, if the Lord will get in it. But um, he did talk to us this morning about the biblical, uh, what biblical hope is and how timely that was for us. You know, um, sometimes we question our hope. You know, sometimes uh, we look at it like the world does. And um, we don't have to do that. Um, but uh, hopefully the, the emphasis we're going to place on our hope tonight is our hope in God. The biblical kind of hope that Pastor Nathan talked about this morning. And um, this nevertheless, if you'll turn with me to first, or Second Corinthians, I'm sorry, Second Corinthians 7. We're going to start in verse 5. I'm going to talk tonight about uh, three things, three main points. Um, that we have a nevertheless God that comforteth the helpless sinners. We have a nevertheless God that cures a hopeless situation. And we have a nevertheless God that can mend broken-hearted saints. So this first one we're going to go to in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Um, hopefully this will be an encouraging message to you tonight. And uh, pretty light, I hope, um, that we can walk away a little bit more encouraged about who our God is and what He can and will and does for us. Sometimes we don't even know about. We, we don't think about. We take for granted sometimes. But um, here we'll start off in Second Corinthians 7, verse 5. And it says, For when we were come into Macedonia... This is Paul. Let me give you a little background here. This is Paul um, talking to the church in Corinth. And he has sent him sent them a letter because of their um, because they were uh, doing wrong in the church, and now he's coming back, and he is um, happy, and his heart is lifted because of their um, how much right that they've gained since the last time he was there, and um, in verse five he just come from Macedonia. Our flesh, in the middle of verse 5 here, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, and within were fears. See, they were, in Macedonia, they didn't get received very well. They were um, persecuted and those kinds of things. So they were, they were, there were lots of fightings. There were lots of turmoil and uh, stress and trouble on the outside and inside. They were scared. They were afraid. Verse 6, Nevertheless, God, 
that comforteth those that are cast down, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Titus went and he told them what the church at Corinth was was going through and how they were progressing, and they were able to comfort Paul by uh, by telling him those things that um, that were going on and giving him the encouragement there about the church in Corinth. In verse six, this nevertheless God. That's what I'm talking about. That even though they were going through trials, even though they were going through troubles and having a hard time in Macedonia, nevertheless, God sent Titus to give them encouragement. And um, that's the kind of God that we have. And we have that kind of God that gives us the comfort and helpless, gives that comfort to the helpless sinners. If you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, we'll see that um, in here that God comforts us as we um, before we're saved he can give us that comfort in through salvation and from ourself and from our death and sin so we'll read here in uh, verse number one Ephesians 2 and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience among whom also we had all or we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind and were by nature the children of wrath even as others look here at verse 3 with me real quick about that he can comfort us god our nevertheless god can comfort us from our from our sin of ourselves. In verse 3 it says that we, we our conversation in times past, that we, we talked about, we lived out the lusts of our flesh and we, we spent a lot of time fulfilling the desires of a flesh and of our mind and we were self-absorbed in those things. And in our very nature, we were just the children of wrath even as the others. Verse number 4, But God... But God, two little words that make so much difference. And, uh, and God gives those to us all throughout the Bible. We find those two little words, but God. Verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy for His great love wherein He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us, has made us alive, quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved. And hath raised us up together and made us to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In that, or that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That nevertheless, God, he comforts us, he comforts the helpless sinners from our own death. If it was up to us, there's no way we could earn salvation, there's no way our works could be good enough. But it says it's not of works in verse 9. Amen. Lest any man should boast. In verse 8, it's the gift of God. It's that, that death of that old man to give us the new man. So we don't have to be a helpless sinner anymore. Sure, we're still going to sin. But we don't have to be helpless in that. We can have the comfort that nevertheless God, no matter what it is that you struggle with, no matter what we struggle with, our vices, if you will, nevertheless, God, He can take those away. He can help us with those. And because He's that nevertheless God, we can get that comfort from those sins that we 
you know, that so easily beset us, that we fall into so easily, that if we're not careful and we let our mind dwell on, we'll fall back into that sin. My next point here is that God, that nevertheless God, He comforts us or He cures our hopeless situation. John chapter 5, if you'll turn with me to John chapter 5, we'll see that our nevertheless God can cure our hopeless situations. We all have things that we just we struggle with, the situations that um, we're going through, um, whatever it may be. Here, the disciples, or uh, here, this uh, impotent man is sitting by the pool wait, at Bethesda, waiting for the angel to come down and touch the pool. And the first one in is going to be healed, but he has no he has nobody there to help him. We'll read, start reading in verse one, John five, verse one. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus, verse 6, when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me in the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus, Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed and walk. And immediately... The man was made whole and took up his bed and walked on the same day was the Sabbath. You see, we have our nevertheless God, Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, this man couldn't get to the pool. Nevertheless, God healed him anyway. Immediately, he was able to get up and walk. He didn't have to struggle, crawl, do whatever he could to get there and have somebody just dip his foot in before and... I didn't make it this time either. Thirty and eight years this man was waiting for his opportunity. And Jesus came by and said, Are you gonna are you gonna get in the pool? Are you gonna get healed? Take up your bed and walk. Thirty eight years he had that disease. Thirty eight years he had that illness. Sometimes we want this stuff right away. Sometimes it's God's will that we go through it right away. Sometimes we have a hopeless situation of sickness that we struggle with for a while. But God, He can give us and grant us the health in His timing. You know, Sister Kathy went home to be with the Lord. That's how He chose to heal her. She's, she's alive forevermore. No longer is she sick. No longer is she hurting. God was able to take care of her through that sickness. And sure, He gave her strength and He gives us strength while we're here to deal with those things. But He healed this uh, this lame man 
that was just waiting, just doing this, just going about his daily life for the last 38 years. He was waiting to be there. And I don't know if he stayed at Bethesda at the pool all the time, or if it was. A, it says the angel came at a certain season, so maybe he came. Maybe he had to struggle to get there to be ready. But I know one thing: he walked away. You know, he walked away from his hopeless situation of sickness because we have a nevertheless God. He was sick. Nevertheless, no matter, God healed him. God wasn't, wasn't hindered by his circumstances and his details of his situation and the struggle, struggles and the turmoils. Nevertheless, God healed him and made him whole. And he was able to walk away after 38 years. Our nevertheless God, he can cure our hopeless situation of safety. If you'll turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 6. I don't know if any of you have ever been in a situation where you just felt like that you were in peril. Your safety was in jeopardy. My pastor in New York ran a charter, a fishing charter on Lake Ontario. We were 13 miles out. We'd go out 13 miles out into Lake Ontario. You couldn't see anything but water. And we'd go out with a big uh, ship's go. Um, through the channel there, it's about 300 foot of water, and that's where you catch the big king salmon, the big lake trout. And we we were trolling around one day, and over the radio we hear, you know, everybody needs to get off the water. There's a lake coming, a big storm's coming. We're like, okay, uh, let's go ahead and go in, and just in case. But no longer we get the downriggers up and get our stuff tackled and everything set up in the boat that we could feel the wind start coming. By the time we got back to the shore, there were eight foot cap white cap waves coming in and probably you know a 25 foot boat um we were going up and coming down and i was scared i was freaking out i was just a little kid i was probably you know 10 or 11 or maybe maybe 12 and um i mean my pastor just said i'm gonna go back here you just you point this boat this direction follow the compass go straight hit the waves i'm like you know i'm driving this boat and i'm trying to hit the waves straight on and he's in the back working the downriggers to hold the boat. And I'm, I am freaking out. But he knew exactly what to do. My pastor knew what was going on. And he knew what we needed to do to get out of that situation. But nevertheless, I was scared. I was scared for my safety. And here in 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 8, we see Elijah um, is uh, being attacked by the uh, king of Syria. Verses 8 through 12 here. And... Um, the king of Syria asked him, um, who's going to be king? And uh, asked the servant of Elijah, who's going to be king? And he tells him, the servant tells him, uh, Elisha is the only one that can, can tell you these things. And he didn't like that answer. So, um, Elisha's in uh, the city of Dothan. And verse 13, we'll pick up here. And he said, go and spy where he is. This is the uh, um, Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria. Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Verse 14. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, and host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? You see, when this when this servant of Elisha woke up that morning and he saw the, the host of Syrians, the army of Syria around the city, 
horses and chariots everywhere. There wasn't any way to escape. He was not liking that situation. Just like I was not liking being in that boat in the middle of the water. I can't even see land yet. And the boat's going up and down. He saw that he didn't see any way out of that of that situation. He was in a hopeless situation for his safety. And the man of God, Elisha, in verse 16, he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Who are you talking about? I can see the servant going, Okay, Elisha, but I don't, there's, there's, you, I see them. I don't see it. There's me and you, two. I'm not getting this here. And I remember, you know, I, I was thinking, okay, if I, I don't know how I'm supposed to be driving this boat straight into these waves on this, on this um, headwind. And all these big waves are coming. We're getting boat, water in the boat a little bit. This is not looking good, Pastor. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know why are you going to the back. You're supposed to be driving the boat. I'm not, I'm just supposed to be hanging on, you know. And um, so I can see where he, this servant of Elisha is, is worried. His hopeless situation for his safety is, is, is immediately focused in the forefront of his mind. That's all he can see, this tunnel vision. We're in trouble. And Elisha says, there's more with us than to be with them. Verse 17, And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened his eyes of the young, opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. When he opened his eyes, when the Lord opened his eyes, he was able to see that God had encompassed the army of Syria, that had encompassed the city that was looking for Elisha, that wanted to destroy him. And he was open, the Lord opened his eyes and he, he saw the flaming chariots of fire all around that army. I bet he just went, whoa, I cannot, I, I, are, you, are you seeing this? Is this right? Just like the disciples on the, on the sea, you know, if, if I, you know, if, if, if pastor would have been able to say, my pastor would have been able to just flatten the water out where I would have been okay. And I'd have been like, all right, I'm good to go now. You know, but when I was able to see that port, when we were able to pull back into Point Breeze, and I could see it off in the distance, we were able to see where we could get back to. I knew we'd be okay. And the servant here said he, when he saw this, he knew that he would be fine. Because God, nevertheless, the situation was dire, but nevertheless, God had put the chariots of fire around the army of Syria, and Elisha didn't stop there. Verse eighteen, and when they came down to him, Elijah prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. God blinded everyone in that army, every last one of them in the army of Syria. And Elijah said unto them, This is not the way, neither is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom ye seek. But he led them to Samaria. Elisha said, Oh, it's not me you're looking for. I'll take you to him. Just, just follow me. All right. Take a lap. Watch out for the rock there. No, this way, over here. And he leads them to Samaria. Okay, in verse 20. And it came to pass when they were come into Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they saw and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. And the king of Israel said unto Elisha when he saw them, My father, shall I smite them? Shall I... Shall I smite them? What am I going to do with these guys? These are our enemies. 
um, do I kill him? What do I do? In verse 22, he answered, Elisha answered, Thou shalt not smite them. Wouldest thou smite those whom thou hast taken captive with thy sword and thy bow? He's, he's, talking, he's talking like nothing's really going on. Like this is normal. Like this was just a normal, you know, captivity. You know, these are just our normal prisoners that we get at war like any other time, even though they marched in the city blind and don't know where they're at. Right? Elisha's got a sense of humor, I'm telling you. And he answered, verse 22, And he answered, Thou shalt not smite them. Wouldest thou smite those whom thou hast taken captive with thy sword and with thy bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. And he prepared great provision for them. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master. So the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. You see, our God can take a dangerous situation and give us a hopeless situation and give us safety. You know, He can take that hopeless situation that we're in sickness that we have, and He can give us health. He'll take care of us through it all because He's a nevertheless God. And no matter what we're going through tonight, no matter what your situation is, remember, nevertheless, God. Remember, God said, I am. Yes. Whatever. Who is God? Yes. What is yes, I am. If you turn with me to John sixteen, we'll see that our nevertheless God is a God that can mend. He can mend broken-hearted saints. Here in John sixteen, the disciples um, are with Jesus, and Jesus is telling them about the um, his death, burial, and resurrection. And then he's telling them, after that, I'm going to leave you. I'm going to be going again to my Father. We're going to go to start in verse 16. John 16, 16. A little while, and ye shall not see me again. A little while, and ye shall see me, because I go to the Father. Then said some of, of his disciples among themselves, What is this that he has said unto us? A little while, and ye shall not see me. And again, a little while, and ye shall see me. Because I go to the Father? They said, therefore, What is this that he saith a little while? We cannot tell what he saith. Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him. And he said unto them, Do ye inquire among yourselves of that I said a little while? And ye shall not see me. And again, and a little while, and ye shall see me. Verily, verily, I say unto you, That ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. And ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall not or shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish for joy that the man is born into the world. And ye know and ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. We'll stop right there. Um, in verse 20 and 22 right here, the, the disciples had a, had a broken heart of sorrow and sadness. They were worried that, that they didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. You're going to leave us? Why are you going to leave us? And then we're going to see you again? What are you talking about? Their, 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 their heart is broken. They're sorrowful. They're sad. 
But Jesus says, remember. Jesus tells them that they're going to they're have joy. In verse 22, that no man can take away. That he has to do this. He has to leave them so that they can have this joy that can never be taken away. So no matter what you're going through tonight, no matter what the sorrow and sadness is that, you were, that we're going through, if we'll keep our eyes on God, nevertheless, no matter what that is, God can take care of us. God can, can heal that broken heart. He can mend that broken heart for us, just like His disciples. That He can give us a joy. When we're going through the deepest, darkest hour, He can give us a joy that no man can take away from us. And He is that joy that no man can take of us, that real person personable kind of joy. If you go back with me to 2 Corinthians 7, where we started, we're going to see that God can mend a broken heart and give us sorrow and, and our sorrow of repentance. 2 Corinthians 7. We'll pick up in verse 8. And it says... For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. What's that talking about? The sorrow to repentance. Let's read on. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Behold, For behold this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge, in all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. They were sorry for those things right there. They were sorry for the things that they were doing wrong. And it brought repentance. And they changed. They got it right. That sorrow of repentance. They were broken hearted. Because Paul rebuked them. And it was a good thing. But they were still sorry for what they had done. And they were repentant. And they got that right. Verse 12. Therefore, though I wrote... Unto you I did it not for his cause that had done the wrong, nor for his cause that suffered wrong, but, for, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear, in, appear unto you. Therefore we were comforted in your comfort, yea, and exceedingly the more joyed we, <clears throat> exceedingly the more joy we for the joy of Titus, because his spirit was refreshed by you all. For if I had boasted anything to him of you, I am not ashamed. But as we spake all things to you in truth, even so our boasting, which I made before Titus, is found a truth. And his inward affection is more abundant toward you, whilst he remembereth the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling ye received him. I rejoice, therefore, that I have confidence in you in all things. This church at Corinth was going through a rough patch. They started to fall away from godly things. Their manner was, was wicked. They were doing things that weren't right. They had all of these things in their, in their hearts and in their church and that they were struggling with, but they got right. And it was able to bring joy unto Paul through Titus, 
who was uplifted by the way that they had that had changed and the way that they had made their um, that they had gotten right with the Lord and their church is doing good and they were doing good here at this point they were they were cleared of all of those things um, that they were doing wrong and it's, and it says that his inward affection was more abundant toward you Titus was his, Titus was more affectionate toward those people in Corinth and it uplifted Paul and Paul was he was able to stand there and tell him he was not ashamed of what they were doing before, but because they had changed, that he wasn't ashamed of them. And he had confidence in them and what in the things that they were going to do from that point on. You know, as a church, you know, I hope God can be confident that we're going to do things better from here on out. Not that we've gone and some slipped back into some kind of sin as a church, or we're going away from doctrine, correct doctrine, but now we're, we're coming back, but that we stand firm and that we don't have to pick up the pieces and, get, and go, go on. But if we just stand firm as a church, we can, we can be able to help those with a broken spirit amongst ourselves. We're a church body. We're our church members. We're a church family. And we can help each other. You guys have helped us out a lot. Just praying for Jamie and her health. You know, it's been really nice to have her here tonight. Um, and everything that she's dealing with. And we know that you guys are praying for us. And we feel that. We feel your love. We've experienced that over and over again. As a church, we can help heal the broken hearts of the saints. And God, our nevertheless God, is the reason that we're able to do that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for...